Do any of you ever get confused by this book? Okay, some honest people in the room. Yes, of course, I know that you do. This is a big book, you guys. There's a lot of stuff in here, is there not? There are thousands of pages in the Bible. There are hundreds of stories and thousands of characters. And there are thousands of years of teaching and doctrine that have been built on these thousands of pages. If I'm honest with you guys, even after getting a couple of college degrees in this book, there are still a lot of moments I have where I'm like, what? What did that just say? I think I might understand, but maybe I'm reading this wrong or I can't even make sense out of this. Like, it's tough for me. I am surprised at how often I'm confused by the faith that I've devoted my life to. Anybody else with me? You're just willing to be honest this morning. You're like, I love the scripture. I love Jesus. I take this thing seriously, but it's hard to know if I'm getting it right. It's hard to know where to begin. It can just be a little bit confusing. If that's where you have ever found yourself, I want you to know that I can understand and so can the other people that are in the room this morning. The Bible can be a daunting thing to pick up and to try to figure out. So a few weeks back, I decided that we were going to start an online connect group called Bible Basics. And in Bible, yeah, a couple of people are in there. In Bible Basics, what we're gonna do is we're gonna kind of just go um, book by book throughout the Bible in an online Facebook group on Thursday night. So you could be in your underwear at your house and we're gonna be talking about the Bible. It's really great. Listen, in the first week, we had 200 people join. Why? Because people wanna know the Bible, but they don't know where to begin. If you want to join, there's still room for you. Bible Basics, YYC, you can join us at any time. But the point is, I'm a professional and I get overwhelmed by the faith, by theology, by questions, by scripture. You may be approaching this thing for the very first time and wondering, what is it all about? What is Jesus all about? What's the church all about? And it might just seem so daunting to you that you back away and you say, you know what? I don't think I'm spiritual enough. Maybe I'm not smart enough. Maybe I don't have the time, but I don't know if this whole church, faith, relationship with God thing is for me. If you've ever felt that way, then today what I wanna help you to do is see Christianity, faith, a relationship with Jesus at its most fundamental level. I wanna strip away thousands and thousands of pages and I want you to not get overwhelmed and feel confused and inadequate when it comes to your relationship with God or your relationship with his word. But instead, here's what I hope. I hope that I can summarize the entirety of what it means to be a Christian in two sentences. Two sentences that you'll walk out of here knowing, I understand what it means to have a relationship with God through Jesus. I could summarize all thousand pages of the Bible, 66 books. I could walk out of here and in two sentences or even four short words that I could tell somebody what it means to be a follower of Jesus and why I take this thing seriously and why I go to church. Because here's what I'm convinced of. I'm convinced that most people have not rejected faith because they examined it and found it wanting. I think most people reject the faith because it's too daunting to examine in the first place. 
They're like, I, I wouldn't even know where to begin or how to make sense out of this thing. And so I'm not even gonna bother. Today, I wanna give you the absolute basics and I wanna do it in 15 minutes. So we're gonna start Matthew chapter number 22 because in fact, it's not really me that's gonna be um, simplifying and stripping down to two sentences what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We're gonna let Jesus himself do this for us. Because there was a moment in which Jesus said, hey, you know what? I realize that it's easy to get hung up on all the rules. I realize it's easy to get confused by all the verses. I realize you pick up the Bible and you wanna do bicep curls because it's that large. And so he said, let me just pare it all back. And let me tell you the bare minimum you need to know in order to be one of my followers. So in Matthew chapter number 22, we read this story in which in verse number 35, the Bible tells us that there was a Pharisee or group of Pharisees, they were religious leaders. And one of them, who was an expert in the religious law, tried to trap Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment of the law of Moses. Now, when he, ta- when he talks about the law of Moses here, what he's talking about is the Old Testament. So the book of Genesis, all the way through the book of Malachi. That's 39 books. And he says, hey, Jesus, out of all that section of scripture, which one is most important? Which teaching, which doctrine, which belief is best, most important? And I love the fact with the way that Matthew has phrased this. Because as soon as this Pharisee asks the question, I can almost picture Matthew in the corner. He's like Admiral Akbar. He's like, it's a trap, Jesus, don't do it. It's a trap. He's trying to trap you, don't fall for it. And the reason that he was trying to trap Jesus is because in Jesus' day, there were all of these different religious groups and they all said something different about what the most important thing in a relationship with God is or what the most important part of the scripture is. So there were some people that said, the 10 commandments are the most important thing. And if you could just focus on the 10 and not worry about everything else, you'll be good. Then there were other people in Jesus' day and they said, no, 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 it's the sacrifices that we make in the temple. And if you could just get the sacrifice right? Then the rest of it doesn't really matter. And then there were people who said, no, 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 no. It's the covenant that God made with our forefathers and this promise of relationship. That's the most important thing. And so when this Pharisee asks Jesus this question, he's laying a trap and he's hoping that Jesus will step into it. The reason it's a trap is because no matter what Jesus chooses here, he's going to alienate some of his audience. Okay. So if Jesus says, I think the covenant part of the Old Testament is the most important, then anybody who believes the 10 commandments is most important is going to be mad at Jesus. And they're gonna say, well, I can't follow him because I don't believe what he believes, right? So he would have alienated a good portion of his audience right away. But let me tell you, it goes deeper than that because even the dude asking the question was ready to turn on Jesus. So let's say he thought, that the guy asking the question thought the 10 commandments were the most important thing. If Jesus said, I, I agree with you, man, I think 10 commandments are the most important thing. That, that guy would have been like, so what? You don't think the sacrifices were important? What's the matter with you, man? How could anybody trust you? So this was a real trap. No matter how Jesus answered this question, it was not going to go well between him and the crowd. Everybody would have had a reason to ignore him or to write him off. It was a no-win situation. But you know what I find really interesting? Although this guy is not asking a real question, we're gonna see that Jesus treats him as if he were sincere. 
Jesus is gonna give him a real answer despite the fact that it's a setup, it's a trap. And I think that's important because it's a good reminder for me that even when my motives are impure, even when I'm not approaching this thing the way that I ought to or as seriously as I should, God still treats me graciously. Even when I'm acting like this Pharisee and I'm trying to trap God and figure out what his true motives are and discover his weaknesses and what's his real angle here, the truth is God always treats me as if I were sincere and I genuinely wanted to know and grow in my relationship with him. If God dealt with me kindly only when I had pure motives, if God dealt with me kindly only when I thought the right things and did the right things and said the right things and didn't question or doubt or disobey, I'm pretty sure God could never be kind to me because like more often than not, I've got mixed motivations. More often than not, I don't even know why I'm saying and doing the things that I do. I'm certainly not living up to whatever standard Jesus set. And so it can be very easy for me to believe that God could get frustrated or angry because I just am not getting it. I'm not living up. And yet he treats me graciously and sincerely every single time. That's because this is God's nature. His nature is love and grace and patience and second chances. And yes, Dan, I know you're an idiot, but I love you anyway. He treats me as a good father treats his child. And I just think you catch a little glimpse of that here in the way that Jesus treats the Pharisee who is treating Jesus like an enemy. So let's look at Jesus' answer. The question was, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Now, I'll be honest with you, this strikes me a little weird because if you pay close attention here, Jesus commands us to love? How do you command somebody to love someone? Isn't love like a feeling that you either have or you don't? Either you love someone or you don't? Isn't it like something internal? So how can Jesus come from the outside and say, you should love God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength? It just seems like a command isn't gonna do it, right? Like if there's somebody who doesn't love God and Jesus is like, do it. And they're like, oh, okay, I get it now. I, I love God all of a sudden. So what's going on? All right, I think the reason that Jesus can command us to love God is because he is absolutely certain of something we're suspicious of, that God is worthy of our love. I think Jesus is 100% convinced that God is worth loving. And I think deep down inside, you and I are not totally sure. We want to believe that God is worth loving, but you know, maybe, maybe not. And so it becomes hard for us to love God. But I think Jesus knows that God is worthy of our love. The Bible presents God as the father of everyone, me and you and white people and brown people and old people and young people and rich people and poor people and people in the, in the southern continent and the northern continent and people that lived thousands of years ago and people that will live thousands of years in the future. God is the creator and the protector and the lover of every single one of his children. That means that God is worthy of our love. He is worth loving. God is good when I'm not. 
God is reliable when I'm not. Ask my wife. God is patient when I'm not. God is worth loving. I really like the way that the apostle John put it in 1 John chapter number four. He had this to say, we love because he first loved us. We love because God loved us. God is love. His nature is grace and kindness and patience, even when we have mixed motivations, even when we're not doing this thing right, even when we get it totally wrong. God is still worthy of our love because God is deserving. He has earned our love. I gotta tell you, like we treat God uh, like he has the, he's the one who has mixed motives. Like he's the one that we should be suspect of. But in the scripture, God is always good. He's always kind. He's always looking out for his children's best interests. Genuinely, he is. Now you may have said, you may say, well, I've heard different things about God. Well, you ain't read the Bible. Read the Bible. I get blown away when people somehow come to the idea that God is not good. I'm like, are we reading the same book here? Because when I read the Bible, I walk away with a sense of like, how can God be this good? Like, how could he be this loving? How could he be this gracious? How could he be this patient to me? This is absolutely bananas. When I come to understand the character of who God is, the only response that I can possibly muster is love. When I come to understand who God is, I cannot help but love him. So I don't think Jesus is like, hey, you in the back, you love God? You better had. I don't think that's what he's doing. I think he's saying, hey, you in the back, if you really came to know God, you would love him with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength. So the first part of what it means to be a Christian is to love God. That's it. And not to love him because he commands it, but to love him because he deserves it. So then Jesus goes on. You kind of expect him to end it right there. It's like, so Jesus, what's the most important in the Bible? Love God, get that right, sucker. You would expect that to be what he says, but it's not because he goes on and he says, a second commandment is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. So he says, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the first and greatest commandment, but there's a second commandment. You should love your neighbor as yourself. You see the great commandment, the most important thing, the foundational point of what it means to be a follower of Jesus is that we love God and we love others. The, the, the core of our religion has two inseparable parts, that we love God and we love the people that he created. Now, God is worthy of our love, but if you give it any thought at all, or if you've had any experience at all, you might recognize that people aren't always worthy of our love. God is always worthy of our love, but people, sometimes, sometimes not. Come on, people are difficult. They're self-interested. People are clueless. People are mean. And that's on a good day. Like on a bad day, we could be downright violent and evil to one another. And yet Jesus says, in order to be my follower, you love God and you love others, even when they're not very lovable. How is it that we can love people if they're not lovable or worthy of love? I think it, it goes right back to what 1 John chapter number four says. We love 
because he first loved us. See, what this verse tells us is that the people who are not very lovable are not them over there, it's us over here. We are, none of us are always lovable. None of us always get it right. None of us are who we're supposed to be. And yet God still loved us. So if we have been loved freely and undeservingly by our heavenly father, the only response is to love others freely and undeservingly as well. Hey, listen, you wanna know what it means to be a Christian. You're confused by the Bible. You get freaked out with all the rules and where do I start and am I doing this thing right? Can I tell you that as a Christian, we give what we have received. That's it. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It is not signing up for church membership. It is not signing up to follow a list of commandments. It is not becoming a perfect person. It is simply receiving freely the love of your heavenly father and then sharing freely the love of your heavenly father with other people. We give what we have received. So if God gave us goodness, we give people goodness. If God was patient with me, I'm gonna be patient with you. If God is gentle to me, then I'm gonna learn to be gentle with you. I give what I have received. I have a vertical love relationship with my father and I have a horizontal relationship, love relationship with every one of his children. This is what it means to be a Christian. In fact, Jesus closes this whole thing out. He says, this is the first and greatest commandment. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And then a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Four words can summarize the entirety of what it means to follow Jesus. Love God, love others. If you do that, then you know everything you need to, to be one of his followers. Sure, there's more to learn. There are more questions to be asked. There are more things to grow in our understanding of. But at its core, if you love God and you love other people in the name of Jesus, then you know enough to be one of his followers. What does it mean to be a Christian? It's to love the God who deserves it and to be empowered to love people whether or not they deserve it. So let me tell you, if you approach faith and you're confused, you're like, bro, I, I couldn't even begin with this thing. You come in and you sit on Sunday mornings and you say, dude, I don't have a clue what's going on here. I sit down because everybody else sat down. I don't know why they sat down at this point, but I saw everybody else do it, so I did. I don't sing. I don't know these songs. You're like, I don't think this is for me. What it means to be a Christian is that we love God and we love other people. Is that a journey you wanna go on? Is that a lifestyle you wanna live? I'm telling you, it's the best one on the planet. There is nothing greater. Some of you are like, but what about, but what about, but what about, but what about? Yeah, there's some whatabouts. But in the end, we love God, we love others. This is the great commandment, to love God with all of our heart, to love our neighbor as ourself. The entirety of everything else hangs on those two things. I believe this is why God has blessed Connect Church over the last three years. And I believe this is the key to him continuing to bless us in the years to come. That we don't get hung up on how people look or talk or act. We don't get focused on having the biggest and the best. All we do is we focus on loving God with all of our heart and loving our neighbor as ourself. If we could simplify it all down to those two things, 
we would set fire to the city of Calgary. We would have six services on Sunday morning. We'd be planting campuses like crazy. People would be getting transformed. Your, your crazy sister-in-law who you think is never gonna get herself right, Jesus would flip her life upside down and everything would be different. It would happen because we love God. We loved our neighbors, ourself. That's all it means to be a Christian. Jesus, help us to do this. Help me to do it. Jesus, help me to do it. Jesus, help me to do it. I pray this in your name. Amen.